0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 7:21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does, the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Felt like we were a little choked up saying thanks be to God right there after reading that text. Um, my name is Bryson. I'm one of the residents over at Sacred City Davenport. Uh, and it's my joy to get to be over here to preach to you guys this morning. Uh, it's not been too long since I've been here, um, but I always enjoy my time when I get to come over here. Uh, typically, what I like to do to just make myself feel comfortable when I start preaching is to just throw out some kind of light jokes or spend some time just kind of goofing off a little bit maybe, um, have some light-hearted fun, but when you read the text that we read this morning uh, and see the weight that's behind it, uh, there's not a very joking attitude that you can have with a text that heavy, uh, especially some poor quality jokes. So what I want to do is to take some time that I would be using to kind of just loosen up a little bit um, and spend that and a little bit of extra time in prayer. Uh, Three of the last four sermons I've preached have been on prayer, so I feel compelled now to actually be serious about praying to God for Him to speak to us through His Word this morning. So let's pray to the Father. Father, we come in here this morning feeling the weight of a world that's lost its way to sin. And many times, we feel the weight of our own lives that have even lost their way to sin throughout the week. Father, in our tendency to desire things of the flesh and things of the world, we often blind ourselves to who You truly are. We blind ourselves to who we truly are. And so this morning, as we look at Your Word, You're taking the opportunity to refresh us in both of those things. To take some time to reflect on who we may truly be, but even more importantly, to understand who You truly are. Father, this morning, would You clear our minds Would You open our hearts? Would You allow Your Word to speak to us and change us and form us? Would You reveal to us by Your Spirit where we're at this morning? Would You, by Your Gospel, comfort us? Would You bring us joy? Would You speak through me as I share Your Word with Your people? Would you have your will and your way this morning, not for us to feel better about ourselves, not for us to feel like we have it all together, but for us to see that we don't and feel better about you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. All right, so like we already mentioned, this text is actually a pretty heavy text And I feel inclined before we go any further to just go back, reread it, and make sure we really understand what Jesus is saying to us in this portion on the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, these are verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, this section of scripture, I believe, is actually probably pretty familiar to a lot of people. I think if you've been a Christian for some time, you've probably stumbled on this passage somewhere along the way. But for as familiar as this text is, I also believe it is equally ignored. It's equally avoided. If we're honest this morning, this verse is perhaps unappealing. These aren't the verses that you see on the signs in Hobby Lobby. You could even say this morning that this verse and these verses are somewhat frightening even. Even to think that your salvation is secure and be deceived the whole time. I can think of nothing more alarming than that. And so if this doesn't raise a sense or a need to self-evaluate where you're at, then I would question how much you're actually understanding the text in front of us this morning. Dr. Martin Lord-Jones says this concerning... This text from the Sermon on the Mount, he says that these are the most solemn words ever spoken in the history of the world. And then he then goes on to say that if any man uttered these words, they would be criticized and condemned. But if we're going to practice the way of Jesus, which is what this sermon series has been all about, we need to come face to face with the whole of Scripture, especially these uncomfortable verses. In this text this morning, I think it's important for us to understand this first. All of creation, everything in heaven and on earth, is moving towards one goal. Moving towards one place. It's moving towards new creation. And the kingdom that Jesus is teaching us about, the kingdom that Jesus is calling us to, is part of that new creation. But there's an event to happen before new creation... The Bible calls that judgment. Now, the bluntness of Jesus' words here, they're not spoken out of harshness. They're not spoken out of him being the mean guy. Jesus is using these words and using this text to be compassionate and call us to recognize a spiritual reality for many people that claim to be part of the church. Judgment is coming. And Christ is asking, as judgment is coming, and with that in mind, have you deceived yourself? Have you tricked yourself into thinking that you are of Christ, when in reality, you're not? There aren't just a few people who fall into this category. If we look back at the text again, Jesus says there are many who will say to me lord lord. And so this morning for every person in this room there are one of three categories that we can find ourselves in. The first being in Christ and knowing it. The second being out of Christ and knowing it. and the third being out of Christ but not knowing it. What a damning place to be. To believe you're among the elect of Christ only to have deceived yourself For all eternity. Now I want to go back and focus throughout this sermon on the first and third groups that we just mentioned. So, if you are truly in Christ this morning, this text is leading you to examine yourself. Get below the surface. Look at your heart. And walk away, hopefully, more encouraged and more confident in the gospel. Now, examining ourselves, it kind of sounds like a negative thing, but it's not only a helpful practice for us, it's also a biblical one. Second Peter 1.10 tells us to be more diligent to confirm our calling and our election. So as we walk through our text this morning, those who are actually in Christ will begin to have this uh, bit of lack of assurance built up in them. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Because that leads us to evaluate ourselves. There's something worse than a lack of assurance, especially a momentary lack of assurance, and that is a false assurance and no salvation. And so before we get into the text, I want us to just kind of, I don't want to say ground rules, but kind of, set some ground rules, set some guidelines to look at the text by. As we go throughout the text this morning, someone is going to come to your mind. Someone that you know, someone in your missional community, someone who you think falls into the third category of self-deceived. Now, I pray that the Spirit does put somebody on your mind. And I pray that you are led by the Spirit to pray for that person and to share the gospel with that person. But primarily, what Jesus is calling us to do this morning is to slow down and think of yourself and see if you belong to the Father in Christ. So let's go back and see where Jesus is leading us this morning and read our text one more time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right, so what could Jesus mean right here when he says workers of lawlessness? And I'm gonna start in verse 22 and see some of the characteristics that we can see in these people who have suffered from self-deception, people who are characterized by as a, a worker of lawlessness. I think there are two important things that we can pull out from the text. Jesus says that on that day there will be many, we've already talked about this, many who say to him, Lord, Lord. They've joined in with the crowds on the wide path that we talked about last week and convinced themselves that they are on the narrow path. We would say, and it was in our liturgy this morning, these people are nominal Christians. Now what do I mean by that? What what does nominal Christian mean? It means that they associate with Christ by name only. Only but they're not really in Christ at all. These people are more than just people who check the Christian box. They're more than just sharing Facebook posts with Bible verses. These people are genuinely convinced that they're Christians, but their assurance is false. Now, how do we know that they are falsely convinced? How do we know that they are just sure that they are in Christ? Well, look at at the shock they have in their response to Jesus. They are astonished that Jesus isn't just holding open the pearly gates, welcoming them in to the kingdom. They're shocked by Christ's hesitation towards them. They got to judgment expecting attaboys. They got to judgment expecting admiration They were expecting praise of their own. But they received notice to leave. They were told they were never known. And in their shock to Jesus' response to them, what do they do? They don't, they don't plead for mercy. They don't ask for grace. They don't ask for forgiveness. They break out their Christian resume... And they want to go over all the works they did for Jesus. So what I want to do is take a peek at these resumes that they've built up real quick. And I think as we do this, it'll help us discover if we are truly Christian or nominal. As we look at these two categories this morning um, that these people put on their resumes, they have a category set up that they're going to call orthodoxy and a category set up that we're going to call orthopraxy. Now, uh, I believe Pastor Sam used these two terms maybe a couple months ago. I know we did over at Sacred City Davenport, um, but just to recap or refresh you on what these words mean, orthodoxy is just simply right belief. And then orthopraxy is right action, or you could say right behavior even. Now what's interesting about these nominal Christians is that they seem to have all the christiany stuff on their resumes. They have good theology, or you could say so, uh, solid orthodoxy. Let's look at verse 22 again. How do they address Jesus? As Lord. Now I know it seems pretty simple, theology, but it's actually that's pretty good theology. That's orthodox theology. They know the Christian lingo. They know the right time to say amen. They know the right time to input in missional community. They've read all the good books. They've read Desiring God. They've read Gentle and Lowly. They've read Piper. They've read Keller. They've read, if they're even distinguished enough Christians, they've read Calvin and Augustine. They have a good head-level understanding of theology And Christian doctrine. They get it. They get things like the deity of Christ. They get things like the human nature of Christ, his atonement, his resurrection. They understand all these things. But these things are really just kind of logical conclusions. It's knowledge. It's belief that stops at the head. They believe in Jesus the same way they believe that World War II happened. Now what's even more interesting is that they aren't just polished in orthodoxy, but they have some fervency about their orthodoxy, their head knowledge. So when they repeat Lord for a second time, they're convinced that their knowledge of Jesus has led to them knowing Jesus. that's not the case. Knowledge about Jesus does not necessarily mean that you know Jesus. Now hear me. Orthodoxy is incredibly important. And essential to being a Christian. I think you could even say a lot of what Christianity is could even be primarily orthodoxy. Right belief about who God is and who Jesus is. What we believe about God should determine not only what we think about God, but the way we live our lives, the way we interact with people, the way we do business. It should impact all things that we do, but if your faith rests in a head-level knowledge or head-level orthodoxy, Christ may not know you. Now, how do we know that? Because not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. You could have good, right, head beliefs and still be, at best, nominal. But then we have orthopraxy. Now what does that mean? We already went over it. Right action, right behavior. You can do the right things and still be a nominal Christian. These people bring their resumes to Christ and they say, we've been prophesying in your name, we've done all these mighty works in your name. Heck, they've cast out demons. How much more super-Christian does it get than that? Their self-deception that they have from their works is due to their false evidences of salvation. Sam gave us a bunch of good, real evidences of grace. These people don't look to that. They look at false evidences. Evidences of salvation. How much money did I give? They're more than just saying, I'm a good person. Many, most people think they're good people. These people are saying, I was more than just a good person, I was actually a fantastic Christian. They graduated from the spiritual elementary things like prayer uh, and reading scripture and being in community with other Christians. And what they've really moved on to is some of this bigger stuff. Now, maybe they did those things too. Maybe they were reading their word and they were reading uh, scripture with brothers and sisters in community and maybe they were praying with brothers and sisters in community. But what they hung their hat on were these other works that they accomplished. They preached great sermons. They were, they were so rooted in how much money they gave. Their ministry That they served in, they were so passionate about. The nonprofit that they set up was so helpful to the city. They did mighty, mighty works, and Christ doesn't even deny that. Jesus doesn't say, actually, you didn't do uh, a bunch of cool things. He says that your work was lawless, but He doesn't say that it wasn't cool. He doesn't deny their works, He denies them. They were the best of their community. And they came to Christ ready to reap the rewards of their hard work. They were ready to reap the rewards of their good service. They were looking for their picture in the who's who of heaven. and They were ready for their celebration into the Christian Hall of Fame with the apostles and all those guys. What's the problem, though? The problem's in our text this morning. They did all these things, and Christ doesn't know them. And not only that, they don't know Him. Despite all their work and all that they've done in the name of Jesus, they've missed it. They've done what appears to be kingdom work without ever being a part of the kingdom. They believe they were among the Christian elite when in reality they were nothing but nominal. And Christ's response to them is blunt. Blunt. You're a worker of lawlessness. Now, I think one thing we have to consider or think about is how, how did these people get here? How does this happen to somebody? How do you become self-deceived? Now, I think there are actually two different false gospels that lead to a faith in orthodoxy and a faith in orthopraxy. So what I want to do is examine each of these false gospels. I want to see if there are some things that could be revealed to us. And maybe the Spirit will show us if we actually maybe believe one of these false gospels. So the first false gospel is the false gospel for the person who leans on good orthodoxy. For the person who, who uh, their, their faith is in their head knowledge of who Jesus is. Now, this false gospel is called the cheap grace gospel. Now, what do I mean by cheap grace? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, says this about cheap grace. He says, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. It is grace without price, grace without cost. Cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, an intellectual assent. Cheap grace means that justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without the requiring of repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus, living and incarnate. What you could say is cheap grace is desiring the kingdom without the king. We want forgiveness, we want mercy, we want the benefits of Christ, but not actually Christ. The thought of getting to heaven and Christ being there is simply just a byproduct of where you're at. It's not, that's not what is appealing about entering the kingdom. The Cheap Grace Gospel wants the Savior without the Lord. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, if Christ isn't your Lord, He's not your Savior. Cheap Grace says that as long as I believe the right things, as long as I can assent to the Gospel, then Christ has no option. He's bringing me in. It doesn't matter what I do because I can can intellectually affirm these specific doctrines concerning Christ. It doesn't matter how they affect my life. I can simply just pass the quiz. Christ says that doesn't guarantee you entrance into the kingdom. He says, did you do the will of the Father? Now many people, especially these kind of people, who are uh, having faith in orthodoxy. They can see some of the prominent false gospels that are taught in America and taught around the world. Um, The big one the last few years is this prosperity gospel. And that's a gospel that uh, we must reject and all false gospels we must reject. But I believe in the words of Jesus in this text this morning, if these words are true, this cheap grace gospel is equally damning And sadly, it's equally widespread. If not more so than the prosperity gospel. People can at least realize, if I give $10,000, does that really guarantee that I'm going to get a million out of my seat of faith? I think people can see some baloney in that. But to intellectually affirm these specific doctrines, well, that sounds like faith alone. The real epidemic of the church today is that there are many in the church who have believed the cheap grace gospel and are actually nominal Christians. Now, how do you know if you believe the cheap grace gospel? Well, what does Jesus require of you? Or or what does the gospel require of you? If you believe the cheap grace gospel, you would say something like, well, the gospel requires that I walk down the aisle and I go to the altar and I meet with the pastor and I pray the sinner's prayer, which is nowhere in the Bible. Um, Maybe I'll get baptized, maybe not. Um, that's, That's about it. Jesus is never going to call you out of anything. He's never going to call you into anything. There's no need to repent or be a part of Christian community. Or no need for Jesus, really, at least not yet. Because Jesus is really only important when you die. But until then, you just kind of make sure you believe the right stuff, and you're good. Make sure you, you've believed the right things, you've walked down the aisle, you've spoken to the pastor, the whole church has seen you, you've raised your hand, just so you know it's legit. The Cheap Grace Gospel